0: We interrupt our program to bring you this important message.
1: Good morning. Today is Wednesday, January 10th, and I am Scott Shera. I am Grace's dad, and one of the reasons that God allowed Grace's premature death was to save others and wake others up. And uh, waking up, the waking up process has applied to me personally. And that's why this podcast is called Deep Programming with Grace's Dad, because it is the single most important thing I've learned about myself, which is how programmed I am and was and am coming out of. Anyway, as I always do, I want to share something about my best buddy. And we had our second snowfall of the season yesterday in Wisconsin. We got about five inches of snow where we live. And Grace always made winter fun. And I'm gonna have Don play the first clip here. So that's Grace driving the snowmobile. So can you play that, Don? <laughs> she she just had a way about her to make everything fun. And then second, you know, Grace was quite a historian relative to Elvis. And Cindy reminded me that it was Elvis's 89th birthday on Monday. And of course, Grace would have um, told us all about that. And I don't know exactly what she would have done. But you know she had a, a reputation locally even. And uh, one of the gentlemen she met locally did quite a neat writing on Grace's uh, that we posted on Grace's website. So, Don, can you bring that up? And I want to just tell the backstory here. All right, so you see it's titled the note from Elvis and he wrote Cindy and I after Grace died and this is what he wrote. This delightful young lady came to my restaurant during our Elvis event with undiluted enthusiasm. So the Elvis event was in August, the anniversary of Elvis's death. This gentleman runs a a local car hop and he always makes a real special event out of Elvis's um, death week, his anniversary of his death week. She had a 50s-themed dress on with a young Elvis silhouette. All she wanted was a picture with Elvis, and I was happy to oblige. So he dresses up as Elvis. She was a real fan and had double pistols posed ready for our selfie. A few days passed, and we received a few days passed, and we received her heartfelt thanks for taking a moment to take a picture with in, in a suite. Letter. So Grace wrote to her, wrote to him, and you're gonna see that in a minute. The news of her passing is very painful. I can't imagine what her family is feeling, losing the sweet and jubilant young lady. So we'll scroll down, Don. All right, so that's the, the picture with the man who owns the restaurant. He dresses up as Elvis and Grace with her convertible, of course. And this is what she wrote: Dear Elvis, aka Charlie's son. So it's the restaurant's called Charlie's. Thank you, thank you for the two real Elvis Presley thank you cards, the parking sign, and the guitar sunglasses. You are very nice, and so was the Marilyn Monroe waitress in the funny, funny COVID mask with red lips. Your mask was funny, too, with the lip curl. I can do the real lip curl. Your Elvis fan friend, Grace Emily Shera, and she always signed, you can see the... Uh, the beautiful signature. And she always added the first John 4, 8 reference, which is God is love. And um, that adorns the website right on the top of the website now. So thanks for bringing that up, Don. All right. So I want to just share a couple other things because of how important uh, waking up is. And, you know, as I've been waking up, are I, we have stood on genesis 50 20 which says you intended to harm me but god intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives and so we look at this both as physical and that means we keep speaking out about the hospital murders which are still going on today and rebecca as you'll see her and cindy are going to be co-hosting with me rebecca's doing the exact same thing we're trying to share this message so that people don't lose their best buddies in these hospital settings because it is going on and it's it's um, there's a, a calm before the storm happening right now. But in the fact is, is it's still going on. But then spiritually is the uh, significantly more important um, item to wake up to and. What we're in right now is evil is being exposed and the red pill movement is doing a fantastic job of exposing that evil. But God gave me the warning that exposing evil fits into Satan's playbook and the red pill movement is chasing knowledge. Satan used that playbook all the way back in the garden in Genesis 3-6 with Eve and how it fits into play Satan's playbook is that There's another choice. Satan is offering another choice, and he's calling it the Great Awakening. And the Great Awakening is a false prophet that fits into Satan's playbook. So, Don, can you bring up that graphic quick? All right, so this is just graphically what it looks like. Why do I say it's a false prophet? And the reason is, is because there's no acknowledgement about how we got here, which is rejecting God. Consequently, there's no call for repentance. So as believers, we're called to walk outside of the wide roads offered by the world and along the narrow path. And we have a, in that, in that uh, framing, we have a very important program today. And I'm hoping to have more of these types of programs in 2024 with people taking action on the narrow path. So all of that said, Don, can you bring in Rebecca, Cindy, and Liz, please?
0: Hi, Scott.
1: Hello. Good morning. So Rebecca and Cindy are going to are co-hosting. As I said, good morning, Liz. Rebecca, will you do the welcome, please? Okay,
0: welcome everyone. America has now become a third-world country with its debt care, and Liz has decided to do something about it. Welcome, Liz.
2: Thank you. Welcome,
3: Liz too.
1: Well, should I think I need to interrupt right here just because I just enjoy teasing Rebecca, and I don't know if anybody else. Oh, up I
2: did. On it, I did say
0: it so.
1: wrong. He said we've become a turd world country.
0: I tried. I practiced, and it just came out so, again.
1: And she, had, I even warned her this is coming, and she still did it. So it's just we have this bantering going on, Liz. You know, you you always tease the ones you love, and it's okay. It was meant right? for you today, so, Scott
3: okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right oh cindy go ahead
3: liz thank you for for being with us and um, i'm just going to give your little bio here liz is a holistic-minded pharmacist with a heart for jesus she quit her behind-the-counter job of 30 years in september of 2020 because she was not willing to give what she felt was dangerous and untested covid shots to anyone and most importantly god had made it abundantly clear that she was to leave the profession Her life journey has been an interesting one, an atypical of most pharmaceutical careers. God has been recognizably in the details, most recently from leaving pharmacy to enter into political activism, to founding Blessed by His Blood with a beautiful visionary board of directors whom God also called into serving in this capacity. Our title for today's podcast is Unvaccinated Blood is Available. Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much for
2: having me.
1: It's great great to have somebody like you on the podcast. It's fantastic. And this provides an opportunity for everybody who has this concern. All right. Go ahead, Rebecca.
0: What is the story behind Blessed by His Blood? <clears throat> and what inspired you to embark on this?
2: So... Um, and thank, thank you guys again for allowing me to share the blessed by his blood story, because I do think it's very important. Um, and I also think it's really important when God calls you to do something, as you guys are doing, that um, we don't say no. So um, blessed by his blood truly was not something on my radar. Um, I I have been a holistically minded pharmacist for for about 23 years now. And um, so that was on my radar back when COVID started. Um, I was already thinking alternatives and I was already awake and aware that something wasn't right, something was very wrong. And so I, I had the resources and was doing the research that um, a lot of other people were doing too. Not so many people in the, in the medical field, but um, you know, I, I was having other pharmacists call me who knew that I was alternative in, in mind, even though I was still behind the counter and were asking me, you know, what, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm not taking the shot and I'm not, I won't be giving the shot. And that was while I was still working. And then in, on September 9th of 2020, I was driving home from work and God just like, I know exactly where I was on the highway. He just said, you're out. I mean, he just said those two words and, um, I spent the rest of my drive home really just thinking about it. It was like, it was an absolute, I mean, it was like a direction. And so I got home and I didn't tell my husband, I think God just spoke to me. Um, I, I said, instead, I said, I'm, I'm getting really concerned about what's about to be asked of me at work. And my husband, he, he didn't even flinch. He just said, he said, well, you need to quit then and we'll make it work. We'll figure it out. And like, there was no assessing finances. There was no anything like that. And so I gave, I gave my two weeks notice. Um, That was on a Tuesday. And on Friday, I gave my two weeks notice. And then, and then I was, I was done. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I, behind the scenes on my off days, I had already been working and helping people exit the big pharma lifestyle uh like as a as kind of just a a gift mostly for people and i thought okay i'm just going to make this a this will be my profession you know i'll use what i know in pharmacy to help people um navigate the medical system exit the medical system whenever available use alternative products whatever that looks like um that's what i'm going to do and so i really dove into that very quickly And I was like, I'm going to work, I'll work 50, 60, 70 hours a week. I know I won't make what I was making as a pharmacist, but I'll be serious about this. And then in January of 21, so, you know, just like four or five months later, um, when I woke up first thing in the morning, every morning, I have a little bit of quiet time with God. um, The first thing he said was, if you have no country, you'll have no business. And so (coughs) I was, Hey, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, and so um, I just kind of prayed on that and molded over what what exactly that meant it, the way he was saying it, and I ended up taking a constitution class, and then um, ended, and then took a biblical citizenship class, and then started teaching biblical, biblical citizenship um, kind of semesters. It's an eight series eight series class, and I thought, well, this is where God wants me. Um, you know, I'll grow my business and I'll teach these biblical citizenships because we as Christians have got to step forward and we've been miseducated. We're supposed to go along to get along and all the things, and it's completely false. We're supposed to stand and we're supposed to be active in all aspects of the world. And in the process of teaching biblical citizenship classes, um, I found out that there was no um, precinct chair in the precinct that I live in and nor had there ever been that I could tell and so I ended up getting directly involved with our local politics there um, and that's been an enormous learning curve um, kind of peeling back the the curtain and seeing what's going on what goes on behind the scenes and it's not pretty by the way. so But anyway, and so, you know, I, I'm, my life is very full, you know, are doing all of those things. And I do live on a farm and we have dairy cows and, and other things too. And I thought, okay, God has my plate full and this is where I'm at, where I'm at. And then in May of 21, um, he's, he, uh, I woke up early one morning, I hadn't even rolled out of bed and I was just laying there for just a second. And like clear as day, he said, I need for you to preserve the blood. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, I was like, I know what that means. And I've quit my job to preserve the blood. I've been kicked off Twitter to preserve the blood. I've done, you know, I've, been, I've done all these things. Um, I've let people know over and over again, don't do this. We need to preserve the blood. You know, God's name is written in our, in our very DNA. And how how important that is that that not get disrupted. We're created in His likeness and image, and so from May until September, I thought, okay, I'm here for the person that's going to do this. You know, I'll be there. I'll be their workhorse, their soldier, their right hand man, their yeah. boots, their boots on the ground, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And um, I'm just waiting, you know, and like really watching for for who was going to do it. And, um, finally in September of 21, you know, God and I are having this friendly dialogue. And I, and I said, I said, God, why is nobody doing this? And I was kind of like frustrated when I said it, I said, why is nobody doing this? And like, he slapped me basically. And he's like gentle slap. And he was like, because you're not. And, and it really, like, he said it so fast. You know, I didn't even have that sentence out of my mouth and he said it. And I was like, okay, I was like, I do not understand. I said, I don't, I don't have funding. I mean, we've, I've quit my job, you know, we're working on, on much, much less income in our household. I don't have a huge following. I don't have a face for, you know, I don't have, I don't have the things that you would start to do something this big. And I, I don't even have the background in blood. You know, I have the background in, in medication, but I don't have the background in blood. And God said, he said, if I wanted one of those people who had those things, it would be about them <clears throat> and, not about, and not about what was being done. And he said, at, at the, he said, I need you to do this. And he said, everybody else is too much. You're just enough. And so I was like, OK, so I get a little choked up thinking about it because it was it was a big ask.
1: Yeah, you know? that's, that's fantastic.
2: And and so I was like, OK, so what am I supposed to do next? And because you know, I didn't even I, I was like, OK, I, I said, OK, now what? You know, waiting for first what whatever was next to happen. And so I reached out to I I was, I was on a chat group with about 250 people. And I said, I'm about to do this thing. And would anybody like to help me? I said, I don't know what it's going to look like, but this is what I'm going to do. And I had seven people step forward out of that group of 250. And um, that became my board of directors. And we said, you know, we had our first meeting and they're like, so what are we going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to wait until God tells me exactly what this is supposed to look like. <laughs> and I went to a in November of 21, I went to a Weston, a price conference. I don't know if you're familiar with that mm-hmm. organization. I went to a Weston, a price conference. And um, on the second day, um, I came in a little bit late. And I so I missed the first session and I thought, well, I'm just going to go into the exhibitor hall and walk around. And wait for that first session to end and um i ended up missing the entire morning because god just basically gave me a download on exactly how it was going to be and you know some some kind of what i'll call oddities are it was um, i'm in texas it was it was to be based out of minnesota Um, we were to be a cooperative it was very clear we were not to be a 501c3 um and um, he just he told me kind of exactly how it was going to look and how we were going to do it. So um, I went back to to my board and I was like, okay, this is what it's going to be. This is the name of the organization. Um, later on, he he just like gave us a, like very quickly he gave us the name. Very quickly he gave us um, what our logo was going to look like. Um, we're modeled after a John fifteen thirteen no man has greater love than to give his life for his friend. Um, and that's, that's it. I had to find a lawyer in Minnesota. I didn't know a soul in Minnesota and it took me five lawyers to find a lawyer that would work with us, that we felt like we could trust. Um, who also wasn't afraid of, of the, the establishment from, because there's, as you know, Scott probably. There's a lot of lawyers who like I'm. I'm, I don't want to stir the pot in. In that case, it was the Minnesota Bar. They didn't want to stir the pot, but we have a really good lawyer, and he's been with us now since the beginning, um, helping us, and we and we do pay him. But um, we officially incorporated, became a became a cooperative in Minnesota in. February or the very very end of January of twenty two, and um, yeah, so that's that that was the story. And then after we incorporated, after we had our name and everything else, then we still have to put put start putting everything together. And um, my husband and I have pulled a lot of money out of savings to get started. Here, we are a true not for profit. You know nobody will ever make any money on what we're doing um and we're a co-op like i said we're a cooperative so every member is a member owner and um like we'll be having our first annual meeting with our with our members in march of this coming up year or, well this year march of 24. so um everybody will have input and yeah Well, that's
1: fantastic! Amazing story. You did a great job with the story. Yeah, Uh, Cindy has had the benefit of um, working with a local lady who, from a a couple who's become our friends, she received the jab, and the reason she took the jab was so she could cross the Canadian border to visit her family, and ultimately she had. she's got lots of issues relative to that. So Cindy took her to a local um, individual who reads blood. And, you know, this is is a big deal. This idea, people think, well, you know, what's the big deal? Well, this is a big deal. And, you know, Cindy was able to take a couple of pictures of this vaccinated blood. We're going to put those on the screen right now so people can see what's going on. And then Cindy's going to describe these pictures. So go ahead, Cindy.
3: So this lady that I took in, as Scott mentioned, she got um, a vaccine, but she also, which I'm not even going to call a vaccine, she got one jab and one booster. And this was on the initial visit. She was having major memory problems, very confused, um, lots of anxiety. And so when I took her in, in this first picture, you see how the blood is very coagulated. I mean, it, the cells were just so sticky and on top of each other so that the oxygen couldn't even get in. Between the cells, and which um, we were told is is and was part of why she was just so um, mentally um, drained and just could not even just do simple tasks, remembering her name. When I was there with her, um, she could not even write her name on the take-in sheet, which was just it was hard. And I helped her, you know, remember the letters and and write her name, and. So then you see the stacking of the cells there in that first picture, along with a fiber. Um, And then there was also just to the right of the fiber, you can see some of the um, the gel, I believe, is what um, that was signifying. Her blood also had and this one of these pictures does not show up, but she had pieces of graphene in her blood. Um, And then um, on the right what just just really hit me hard when I saw it. And you can't really see the antenna very clearly, but at the top of that, it's a nanotechnology there. It looks like a little spaceship. It has a tiny antenna at the very top. And she had several of these in her blood that day. Um, it, it just, I just, I couldn't believe what I saw. And so when I had the picture um, visibly to show her husband because he had asked me to take her in, um, he, he couldn't believe it either. Um, and so they have been doing a lot of different detoxing things to try and help clean out that blood. But I, I just was taken back to even think that just one jab and one booster would already destroy the t- integrity of her blood. Yeah. So it was was just amazing.
1: Liz, um, yes, no one... do you have any comments about those pictures? I'm just curious as to your thoughts.
2: Well, I, I've been following several people who do um, the dark field microscopy in live blood analysis. And that is, unfortunately, it's um, pretty typical of what is seen. So it's not surprising. And, you know, we've had so many people say, or, or, or ask the question, they're like, well, what about shedding? And I think what people forget is, there is a difference between shedding, the shedding of spike proteins, which we know happens, and the mRNA, the mRNA doesn't shed as, as best as we can tell. That part is that doesn't shed, but the but the spike proteins do. And our goal ultimately was to protect the mRNA, which is the, the, the <laughs> thing that's doing the DNA mutations in, in people's bodies. So well,
3: I did have my blood also scanned. Um, after I saw this lady's blood, and I had some graphene in my blood, which they had said was probably from shedding,
2: mm-hmm.
3: which surprised me as well as like, oh my goodness. No. Well,
2: anyway. C- and Cindy, there's other there's other ways to get the graphene too. I mean, I I do believe that um, whatever they're spraying in the in the skies that mm-hmm. has has something in it as well. Yeah um and you know they're they are looking at other things too so like if you've ever had lidocaine injections at the dentist office or things like that there's now things in those types of injections and even you know it makes me sick to even think about it but there to date we've not seen anything indicating that there's mrna but there are all kinds of things that they're putting in all of these biologics which are the and the biologic medications or the high dollar medications that are injected and people take them so willingly thinking oh this will be a fix to whatever is wrong with me and when you think about how you have you know one out of every four or five people has an autoimmune disorder and every, almost every single one of those autoimmune disorders has um, an injectable product yeah. as a as a cure or mediator yeah then they're getting injected with who knows what is actually in the product. Right. <clears throat> so that's one of the reasons our, um we have on our membership, our membership is, is referral only, or, you know, we're happy to take a phone call and talk to people and kind of, kind of walk through their story. Um, you know, and certainly people can lie, but um we have We've had some really beautiful conversations, and we've we've yet to come up with somebody who who we felt like was lying about what was going on. But in part of our in our membership application, we do ask lots of questions. and that's one of the questions is is like, are you taking any injectable products right now? And if so, what are they? And if that's the case, then we make the determination that maybe they should be a recipient only because we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And we don't want, we don't want to affect somebody else with accidentally, you know, Mm -hmm. so we're, we really do try to err on the side of caution. Um, and, and our recipients are very valuable to us, the recipient only's, they're still very valuable to us because they can still spread our message and, Mm -hmm. and help us grow, um, our organization and we are we will always be there for them, you know, to to help find blood for them.
1: You yeah, we should just because you started that conversation, Liz, Rebecca, can you go to the sixth question so that Liz can finish that conversation because it's good.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, so Liz, walk us through the process and of getting the blood. How do you get the blood and what states is this service available?
2: So um, we are nationwide, but mm-hmm. and our um, our availability and and doability is very dependent upon finding donors and mem- well members for our organization. And we've had some some truly blessing donors who have driven as far as like three and four hours to go donate to. Wow. For our, for our members, I mean, it's 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 remarkable. Um, we are we we are looking for grants, but grants are not easy um, for for what we're doing because, as you can imagine, um, where where does grant money come from? Well, it can come from government, and so we don't even go there. Or it can come from very 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 wealthy philanthropists. Well. As you and you and I know, a lot of those wealthy philanthropists are um, deeply embedded with um, the things that we don't agree with. Mm-hmm. So, so it narrows down our, our grant search considerably um, for, for what we're doing. We do charge a twenty five dollar annual. It's not it's not monthly. It's a twenty five dollar annual membership and kids under 18 are free. So it's, we feel like we're beyond reasonable for the amount of work that we put in. I mean, every, every um, recipient case, I can't tell you how many hours gets, um, gets used, <laughs> and, and it's all volunteer hours. It's usually um, our membership coordinator, Kim, who you've talked to, Scott. Um, yes. She's a retired nurse, and um, myself, and we're trying to get a few more people helping but I mean sometimes some of these cases can take 20 or 30 hours to work on and we're again we're not getting paid to do this Um, we're doing this out of the love of of preserving the blood but after
1: when you you say 20 to 30 hours to work on you mean somebody needs blood for a surgery and then you have to do a case workup to to figure out how you're going to pull this off is that what you mean?
2: It's, yeah, well, it's, it's very interesting. And, and we have learned so much about um, the blood donation system, what that looks like. um, And it looks different everywhere. It's, it's, it's remarkable. We're, we're actually building um, a file, we call it our friends and foes file. And our friends, our friends are those who are amenable to what we're doing. And our foes are people that or organizations that shut us, that try to shut what we're doing down, and um, they, those may be individual doctors. They could be hospitals. Um, they could be um, blood donation centers. And if even we have one of those, because it takes all three of those to run a or or to facilitate a directed donation to a recipient, right? So if the doctor refuses to write the order, then we may say to um, the, the family or to the client, we may say, well, we suggest that you find another doctor that will work with you. You know, Number two, are you working in an area with a blood donation center that will honor the request? And this is where it gets crazy because what we're talking about are corporate entities. They might be listed as not-for-profit, like um, the Red Cross, but they're still, yes. corp- they're still corporate entities. And the fact that a corporate entity, even if a doctor said yes and a hospital said yes, these corporate entities have contracts with hospitals and, um, uh, and transfusion centers. And if they say we're not doing it, then, the corporate entity is making a medical decision on behalf of a person, which I don't feel, I don't feel is legal at all. I mean, they're practicing at that point, they're practicing medicine without a license. Now they would go, they might say, well, we have a doctor on the staff and this is why we're not doing it. There's, there's even more reasons than that. And we can talk about that later, but, you know, and then the third player, of course, is the hospital. And if the hospital won't do it, that's another problem as well. So one of the things. So you have,
1: Just so I can frame this list. So you're talking about somebody needs blood for surgery, let's say.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So they have to have the doctor play. You know, so they say, I, I want blood through blessed by his blood.
2: Well, okay. So what, what we encourage people to say is. Because what we're trying to do is, it, and first of all, everybody should want directed donor blood, regardless of if they got the jab or not. Everybody should should want to be able to choose who their blood donor is, because there's a lot of things that can happen in blood that don't get tested for, and, there, and directed donor blood also is much, much fresher as a rule than blood that comes from an anonymous donor, and has been sitting on a, on a shelf, when it's sitting on a shelf, they, they go first in, first out, just like you would if you were at Walmart, you know, whatever, they, they take the oldest stuff, push it to the front, and that's what gets mm-hmm. used or sold first. And the older, blood, the older that blood is, the more degraded the blood becomes. Um, the first thing that starts degrading is hemoglobin, but the red blood cells really start to get clumpy too and can be problematic and can, and can cause problems and if you're in a if you need blood you are by definition in a healing crisis of some sort and yeah. if that's mm-hmm. if that's the case then you need the freshest blood possible because you need the most you need the blood with the most oxygen capacity carrying capacity right <laughs> that's that's just by very definition Great. so so we really encourage people it's like it doesn't matter who you are you should be fighting for directed donor blood and you mm-hmm. where you get to choose who is gonna donate blood for your situation now in an in emergency situations unfortunately you, you're probably gonna get what you get because there's not enough time to because they do have to process the blood and clean it and do all of those things we are told over and over again it takes at minimum I'm gonna say in quotes at minimum five days but we've also had a situation where we saw somebody's blood; um, they were able to get it within 18 hours. So we know that's not true. That's just the window that um, almost every single blood donation center in the United States operates under. But it's 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 so interesting the variety of responses that we get from. Not, and I say we. I'm including. The, the families of the, of the recipients. When I say this, the responses that we get because it's all over the board. I mean, we have some doctors that are um, very much willing to work with their patients. We have others that absolutely will not. Um, we have blood donation centers that don't even require a doctor's order. <clears throat> we've, had that, we've had that happen on three different occasions. And then, but the vast majority, you must have a doctor's order for in order to make this happen.
1: So you're requesting, as a patient, you're requesting directed donor blood. The doctor then places the order or doesn't. Then you fire the doctor, but ultimately you get a doctor to place the order. And then the blood donation center. So now the person goes to the blood donation center to donate for the patient directly. Correct? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So then but before that you're checking out whether the hospital's going to go along with this because otherwise it's all a waste of time, right? Right.
2: We have all of, all of this. I mean, it is a, it is a puzzle piece. I mean, like, like there are lots of puzzle pieces that have to fit together in order, in order for it to work. And, you know, we've, we've been up and running officially since, since May. And we've, to date, we've done, in, situ- in the situations where we were able to actively help somebody where where the puzzle pieces came together or where we had enough and we had enough time because we get a lot of people who call us at the very last minute like they need blood like yesterday and it's like we need more time than that. I mean the blood system needs more time than that. So it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. That's why having a plan is so important and it's no different than a living will, in my opinion. It's like, you need to have, you need to know exactly what your plan is going to be because nobody, you know, unless you have um, a blood dyscrasia that requires a a normal transfusion, like monthly or something, nobody plans to have transfusions. And, and so it's something that, you've just got, you've got to say, well, worst case scenario, scenario, where am I going to get the blood from?
1: Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. We're going to actually come back to the planning piece of this in a, in a bit, but let's go back to Cindy. Um, let's get into the, the Texas State Senate situation.
3: Um, Don, I'm going to have you play that Texas State Senate clip in just a minute, but Liz we've heard that there's some obstacles that you've kind of run across and I take it that this clip is going to give us a, a taste of what that is and so we'd like you to explain what actually happened with this after Don yep. plays the clip.
2: Okay. It, Don's gonna it was, play the clip quick. Oh, oh first? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Ms. James. Good morning. Madam Chair and committee members, thank you for allowing me to speak. My name is Liz James, and I am a pharmacist and the CEO of Blessed by His Blood. And I am representing this volunteer cooperative in myself, and I speak on behalf of Senate Bill 1584. Over the last three years, there has been growing concern over the devolution of the quality of blood supply in our country, as well as the continued erosion of medical freedom in small and large ways. Autologous and directed donor blood allows for an increased measure of quality and safety and its availability gives the patient greater personal authority over what is being introduced into his or her body. While autologous and directed donor blood donations have been available and utilized for decades in the healthcare system, it has become increasingly difficult to ensure that a blood recipient's desire to to receive known donor status blood is actually achieved. Most frequently, this basic patient right is being refused at point of service at hospitals, clinics, and blood donation centers despite the decades-old designated donor practice for our country. The doctor writing the designated donor order is practicing medicine within his or her scope of practice. Autologous and directed donor blood is safe, legal, and has a decades-long history of prior use. The 14th Amendment of the Constitution, Section 1, which provides protection of the person's life, liberty, and property in due process of law, is being violated, as is the Patient Self-Determination Act of 1990, which affirms the common law right of self-determination as guaranteed by the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution. The United States Commission on International Freedom, Religious Freedom protects a person's right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion or belief. Please vote in support of Senate Bill 1584. Thank you so much thank you miss james uh, for your testimony any questions so liz, what we...
1: was... cindy i just want to comment oh. because liz i cut this off there because of it bob hall's questions got too long for you know it it would have been 10 minutes of plane but right. what happened is there was a pause there and then senator bob hall jumped in with some questions and i've come to trust him and you know his questions were spot on and then you answered them And so, of course, you know, well, now I just wanted to give everybody that background so you can listen to that whole clip if you want. Don will have it in the show notes, but then go ahead, Cindy.
3: So we were just wondering what was the actual result then of of this bill?
2: Well, so the story behind the story on that um, in in January of 23, again, God, um, he stirred my pot and I, I woke up. I woke up one morning. And he said, "I need for you to go to Austin and get in front of the, and, and get in front of the, of the problem." And I was like, "Okay, what does that mean?" <laughs> you know? And and so um, as it as it became clear, I was like, "Okay, we need what we what he's asking me to do was to create legislation to preserve what already is in existence." And it was so interesting because God asked me to do that in January and in March. Carter Blood Care, which is the largest blood donation center in North Texas, and they serve over 200 hospitals and transfusion centers and are contracted with them and and understand when there's a contract, that's where they have to get blood from. They can't go outside their contract. but Carter posted on their website that they were no longer honoring um, directed donations as as of um, I think it was April 14th, <coughs> 14th here. So, so they
1: were making they were making law. Correct. They were going around the law and making their own
2: law. Correct. They're. Yeah. yeah and practicing medicine, in my opinion. So, so we found out about this and then you saw the two little girls that were, one was sitting on either side of me in, in that video and both of those little girls actually testified. And I would really encourage everybody to go and listen to that full testimony because it really is heartbreaking. Both of those little girls uh, have beta thalassemia major and require blood transfusions every single month in order for them to survive. And their hematologist early on, um, this has been going on since they were babies because it's a genetic thing. Um, Their hematologist told their mom that their best chance of living a full productive life was to have directed donors. So their mom went out and, and, you know, put put a, a social media request out. This was years ago. And I think one of the girls has 20 donors and the other one has 15. And these people have been giving selflessly for as long as the girls have been alive almost. Wow. And they wrote and they rotate donations. And the result is the girls have been living completely normal lives. Well, they live in the Carter blood care vicinity. And every single children's hospital in our area is contracted with Carter. And um, what happened is when they shut it down, when they shut directed donors down, they made no exceptions. They didn't care what the hematologist said. They didn't care that the letter had been written by the hematologist saying it was a matter of of quality of life for these kids. And... um, they subsequently, because they can't, they can't not have blood donations. And with, with that type of blood donation lifestyle, um, a lot of these people end up on medication as well. That's very, very expensive and has many side effects. Um, the poor blood that they get causes iron buildup in the body and you have to have a medication to mediate that. And you know, there's fatigue and other things and you know, one of the girls, she ended, they, they ended up having at least two anonymous donor blood donations because they had no choice. Um, one of the girls ended up getting uh, cold sores um, after the, they had never had that happen before. I'd never had anything like that. Um, I think on the second, on the second set of transfusions, this, um, the other little girl got a rash all over her entire body. That was very hard to get rid of. Um, this is an ongoing um, problem, and I'm not at liberty to, to talk about what's going on right now. But it's that was that was probably it was probably one of the most evil things that I have come across in terms of just flat out saying no to to a family like this who had everything in place. And I would go so far as to say too that carter for the last nine years prior to them turning off directed donations they were requiring the family to give them a money order every single time they used directed donors and so they had paid over nine years they'd paid i think about fifty five thousand dollars to carter in the form of money orders which is rather interesting way of um payment Mm -hmm. Um, especially when insurance is also paying them to do the same thing. So the rest of the story, it goes like this. Um, the way a bill works is it first has to be authored. And that was Senator Bob Hall. He was my hero. And um, he, I went to him with the bill I had written and he ended up authoring that bill. Um, we passed in that Senate hearing. You heard that was um, the health, the health committee. Um, it passed unanimously in the health committee, and then it passed in the Senate, 28 to two. The two senators that voted against it, their reasoning was absolutely ridiculous and made no sense whatsoever. Um, but I mean, it still passed 28 to two, which we were, you know, and that's that's non. It's a nonpartisan bill, Senate Bill 1584. Nonpartisan. It didn't say a word about the COVID shot. It didn't say a word about anything. It was like just the right to to have this right, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, a, it's a personal. <clears throat> and um, we went to the health committee in the in the house after after that, um, and it passed unanimously in the house. Um, we made it through calendars. We made it to the very end. Well, in the meantime, we found out that Carter had brought in a lobbyist, um, a high powered lobbyist. And, you know, we don't have a lot of money. Like we're, we operate on less than a shoestring budget, I would say. Um, at most, most of the time it's a prayer and then it, and then the money shows up. Um, so, but really and truly, um, it is, this is really a David versus Goliath situation and they, um, Anyway, it, it got to the point where the last thing that had to happen was um, to be voted on in the House, and we were told by several offices that this particular lobbyist had been to visit them, and then we heard some other rumors, uh, and I, there's enough, there was enough information in the rumor that I believe it was probably true, um, but I didn't, hear it, I didn't hear the words myself, so I can't you know, I'm not gonna say it absolutely happened but there was uh, there was enough corroborating um, information that the lobbyist was making some situational um, conversation that it might be hard to be reelected if if this particular bill passed so so this <laughs> This bill unfortunately died in the on the House floor, and oh never God. and never even got the opportunity to be voted on. Oh so, God. and I I had personally visited about ninety percent of the uh, House of Representatives offices and had conversations with all the staff, explaining it was a nonpartisan bill. It was to benefit every single person in the state of Texas. And I did not have a single office that said that it wasn't a good idea. So we had every reason to believe it would be, it would have been a fast vote and would have gone through very quickly had it made it to the floor. So.
1: Unreal. Anybody who has a trust in our system, that story and of course, because we have, the first of its kind lawsuit. I am very, very familiar, intimately with the corruption and what they are doing to stop us. At you know, this is it's it's clear. I mean, this sort of this is a no-brainer bill. Uh, yet they were able to pull off the unthinkable.
2: It's Scott. It's it's really interesting because, like I said, we've learned so much about the blood industry, and here's one of the things the The blood industry is a multi-billion dollar industry and it runs and there are blood brokers and it runs on the altruism of people who donate. And so, so we were like, why would they turn off directed donors when at a time when they're saying, we need blood, we need blood? Because when you take out the directed donor or like, if you have a directed donor, that means that they can't take that blood and possibly sell it Mm -hmm. because it has, because it has an endpoint already in sight. And when you have high value blood, because because they do do look at blood and say, this is a high value blood, this is low value blood, that kind of thing. And um, a lot of blood gets sold overseas And a lot of blood gets sold to the pharmaceutical industry to make their biologics. And even, like, it it goes so far as to think about the human, like, human albumin is in Botox. Um, So it's even in in things that you don't even think about. And there's a lot of money that is made. I mean, the, the Carter Blood Center... CEO, he makes probably $650,000 a year. Um, That's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But we, one of our advisory board members, um, he was a regional director for a large blood bank in Oklahoma and Arizona. And he told us a lot of information that we were just like, we sat there and listened with our jaws dropped. And he said, "Here's the thing. He's like, when they do a blood a blood drive, only about twenty percent of that blood actually stays in the community. The rest of it is taken and sold."
3: Wow. <laughs> so
1: it's truly, the love of money is the root of all evil, and here here you see it again in something that you'd you'd think it's not it's not like that in the blood bank industry, but it is. Uh, Rebecca, let's move on to the next question, number four. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay.
0: <laughs> okay, there are a couple other organizations that are doing the same thing. What sets you apart from them?
2: Um, I, I would say, well, and first of all, kudos to, to those that are that are trying to do something out there. Um, we, we are, what makes us different? We are a faith-based organization. Um, we will accept anybody from any faith, but they just need to understand that our faith is, belongs to Jesus Christ. And, and so there's that, um, and as part of that faith, in addition to filling out, we have a robust, membership application where we do ask a lot of questions. I mean, we ask about intimate part, you know, if, if you've had an intimate partner with somebody um, who did get the shot, it, that moves that person to a recipient only status. It won't stop them. You know, if they chose not to get the shot shot themselves, we are not penalizing them for that, but we will we will just make them a recipient only. Because, again, we don't know what we don't know in terms of what has been passed along Person to person, um, and the same with the injectable medications, monoclonal antibodies, things like that. Um, we also, at the end of the questionnaire, the the last thing we have people do is sign a covenant with God, and that's their copy to keep. But we also keep a copy on hand, and and the covenant is that everything I've said is true. So you know, if somebody's lying and they sign a covenant with God and, and a Covenant um, with God is is the most powerful binding thing out there. Uh, so, you know, hef, I feel sorry for the person that is not that dishonors that if that if that ever came to pass. Um, we also are um, a co op model, and we are not for profit. So, the other organizations um, are for profit. Uh, um, And that's, you know, that's, and that's okay. You know, it's just something to think about. Um, The cooperative um, type of business means that every member has a, has a say, and they have an opportunity to um, step in and help if they want to help too, that kind of thing.
1: Um, Liz, who is your, your membership director? I forgot her first name. Kim kim okay so just the interesting um sidebar relative to the timing of getting liz on the show uh, i was on grace's website i had put a urgent tab for unvaccinated blood way back when we started the website because i thought this is a big deal people aren't paying attention to it and i had uh, heard about your organization. And then I I had one of our followers sent me a um, clip from Del Bigtree interviewing somebody. And I thought, well, I'm going to put something on there because I haven't heard from Blessed by His Blood yet. And unbelievably, the day I was going to put that on our website, Kimberly reached out to me. Oh, and, wow. and so then I walked through it, Like I, you know, I always want to be prepared for a podcast, make sure that that um I'm comfortable, you know, and I was almost instantly comfortable. But then I walked through that process myself uh, of signing up, and it was fantastic. Uh, you know, it's intense. It's intense, and it needs to be intense. And Cindy got the monoclonal antibodies. And, you know, because she got those, it made me a recipient only versus a donor. And it wasn't because Cindy's necessarily got anything wrong with her. It just you're taking the high road and just saying, we don't know. And because we don't know, we can't potentially put somebody else at risk. So I was impressed with
2: it. Yeah, well, thank, thank you for that. You know, when I was trained in pharmacy, um, that was the height of the HIV era. And they were just finding out that you could get HIV from people's blood. And so I don't know if you remember that, but back in the 80s and early 90s, there were a lot of people that ended up with HIV from a simple blood transfusion. And so that, that um, even though that was so many years ago, because it was in my training years, that was, that had a huge impact on my brain. And that was the, really the first, as soon, as soon as they started putting these shots together, like that was one of the first things that came into my brain was what about the blood supply? And so I, that, that really was the, like the seed, the mustard seed that got planted.
1: Yeah, right, right on. We're going to, I'm gonna have Cindy ask the next question, but while she's, she can ask that, and then I'm gonna have Don bring up the resource tab on the website, and then Liz, I'm gonna have you walk through that with, with the the three of us because we've got the, really the tips on there, but then you can add to the tips. So go ahead, Cindy. Yeah.
3: So I just have a quick question though. Um, I know when I did get the monoclonal antibodies, there was a sub. Well, there were people talking that you could have gotten the synthetic synthetic monoclonal antibodies, or you could have got the natural monoclonal antibodies, which I have no clue what I got. Um, so when this blood is tested, which I'm assuming it has, it gets tested as it's donated. Can they tell what kind of um, like so, the difference with the blood?
2: Or so not? it's it's interesting. Because we and Kim and I just had a conversation about this this morning is like, are they actually testing the blood? We don't know, because as as far as we know, um, you know, if if there was if there was a test out there, it should be readily available. But if you start Googling and looking for a test, Mm -hmm. there's no test out there. So and, and yesterday I talked to a lady who is a regular donor for Carter. And she told me that um, the last time she went in for the very first time, they asked her if she had had the COVID shot. And so um, she said, no, I did not get the COVID shot. And they said, good, that means we can use your plasma for convalescent plasma. And so Kim and I were talking- yeah, Kim and I were talking, and we're like, "That may be another way for them to, to make more money." Like, like mm-hmm. the people who didn't yeah, get that's the COVID exactly shot. I yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Your now, now your market value just went up mm-hmm. um, exponentially, right? And mm-hmm. she she also told me that was the last time she was going to Carter to donate blood. She <gasps> to um, But convalescent plasma is what they. What they term that they give to people who um, have are trying to recover from COVID, because that has the antibodies in it, right? So the the question is, well, what is the difference between monoclonal antibodies, which is are synthetic, but but still derived from um, a human source at some point, and um, what they say is non-synthetic? Does that mean they're they're actually talking about convalescent plasma? And I. that might be what they're talking about okay i
3: usually would be get called from the blood center around here for my plasma mainly that was before um covid i mean Mm -hmm. but now you (laughs) am making making a few different connections with it all so one of the thoughts that we had was you know you did touch on this a little bit earlier so if somebody has a need for blood they know they have a need for blood there's certain steps that they have to walk through so let's say I find out that I have to have a surgery coming up, okay. and I do have some time to prep, but yet again, maybe somebody doesn't have time to prep. What would be, you know, my steps of action?
2: Okay, so, so- Cindy,
1: I'm going to bring up. Uh, I'll have Don bring up the list from the screen because that's we'll we'll go in that that question first, um, okay. as far as advanced prep. But then we've got kind of a laundry list. So Don, can you bring up the? All right. So let's scroll down. Um, All right. So uh, non-emergency situations. So that's, you see, that's the third one. Donate your, you know, what, what can you do to prepare with these various situations? So that's really the essence of what's on the website. Actually, why don't we just start right from the top? So the first step I'd have, you know, know your blood type. If you don't know your blood type, obviously that's a problem. And then Liz, why don't you just walk through what we've got on the website? Cause you'll cover Cindy's question
2: so so what we tell people if like if they're in an an emergent situation um we talk we talk about um there's something called cell saver technology which is the consider the bloodless options and oddly enough they most hospitals don't offer that up as an option although there are bloodless hospitals where they, where they use cell saver technology. And basically what they're doing is if you bleed out, like if you're having a surgery and you're bleeding, you they nick something and you're bleeding out, they will harvest the blood that you're losing, clean it in a like a dialysis type machine and perfuse it back into your own body. But there does have to be a perfusionist <clears> on <throat> standby if that, if that need is there so when you're going into surgery that needs to be an ask now they're gonna if you're doing something like a, like an ankle surgery or or carpal tunnel surgery or something like that there's no way that they're gonna do that because the, because your risk is low if you're if you're going to be doing abdominal surgery or heart surgery the risk will be higher and and so that's when they, they will probably say, yes, we will, we will offer that. But the perfusionist has to be on standby because when you need it, you need, you need that person right there. They don't need to be called in, you know, as you're, as you're losing blood rapidly. Um, the autologous donations, if you have way enough time and your blood is good, you can donate for yourself. Um, and that's, that is another safe way. Um, but if you're, Again, you don't want blood too old, even if it's your own blood. Um, blood that's forty-five days old is is getting up there in in years, and there are some scientists would say that that blood is not is not good blood at all at that age. So, that's, so just that,
1: just walk through. So, so let's just say we have forty-five days. We know we're going to have a surgery. So then, how do you 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 can go to the local blood donor well, not
2: Again, you have, to, you have to get a doctor's order in most situations to write for something like that. All right. And then, and then um, they store it for you for, for that particular surgery should it, should it be needed. Um, and as I said before, don't wait, have a plan, talk to family members, find out who your family members are that have the same blood type you have or, or are compatible to your blood type. Um, or friends, if you don't have local family, find friends who are, who are compatible. I mean, this is, this is what we do is, is we really try to, you know, in our community, we're trying to connect people blood to blood. And that's, we, we just think it's so very, very important to do this.
1: Yep. That makes total sense. Don, can you scroll down just a little bit uh all right so you can see we've got your website now listed on on grace's website so that people can become members um so the so we went through blood bloodless we went through non-emergency um you know having people have their blood type ahead of time is pretty is fairly important you see we've got the link for that any other comments regarding what we have on the website, or other things that we should put on it, Liz.
2: Um, I th- we we answer so many questions on our website. Like, a, like when you go onto our website, there's an FAQ section at the very top, and I think that probably most questions would get answered. It's a pretty robust FAQ. Yes. That that people would find there. Um, I w- the other thing I would say is be very, very careful in how you present your request. If you know, you don't say, I'm, I've not gotten the COVID shot, I do not want vaccinated blood. That pretty much is gonna ensure that um, they're not gonna listen to a thing you say after that. So, so <laughs> what you say is, I would like the right to choose whose blood I receive. You don't say a word about anything else. And um, you just say, how can we go about doing that? And take it from there. If a doctor says, oh, that's not necessary, or he downplays your need, um, you probably need to find another doctor.
1: Got it. That makes total sense. Yeah. all right, let's go back to then uh, Cindy, you've got the final question and then we'll we'll start wrapping up.
3: I um, mean, you did touch a little bit on this also about the financial piece of it. You said that people are paying a yearly membership of $25, but how do you finance what you're doing and you're searching for grants? But I mean, I mean, this is a huge undertaking and
2: yeah. It very much is a huge undertaking and, um, you know, God is going to, God is in the details. We have, I can't, I cannot believe how far we've gotten and how much we've gotten done, um, with, with basically, like I said, a a prayer and a shoestring budget. Um, once, once my husband and I put in kind of the seed money to, to get it started, um, it's all. It has literally all been. We have do, we have a donation site um, that's linked on our webpage for give send go, and we have and then the twenty five dollar donations and that's it. And we well we have. Here's the thing because we're not a five hundred one c three. We have partnered with an organization called Allegro Solutions, and for people that want to make a larger donation they can go to our website and then click on the the portion of the donations that goes to allegro and that does allow a donation of any size to be written off as a 501 c3 donation because it goes through allegro and then allegro turns around and gives the money to us
1: ah interesting okay So then, yeah, because a big donor would want to be able to take the deduction on Schedule A of their it, tax return, makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, exactly.
2: Wow. So wow. our so any any donations that come through there uh, through Allegro are are completely tax deductible. So we 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 don't get a lot of big donations. Um, we you know when I say big, we we qualify anything over five hundred as as um, is huge. So. Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Liz, you just did a fantastic job today. Is there anything that we have missed that you would want want to uh, tell the audience?
2: Oh, the only thing is this, and I I think I said it at the beginning, is like if if God calls you to do something, don't say no. Just don't say no. This is, it's been... I've met so many beautiful people who have had the same call but for but for a slightly different um task that God has, and we are all part of his army, you know the whether we're the thumb or the pinky mm-hmm. right that's it's it's all important so
1: It's, um, and he prepares us to, you know, I wasn't planning on this, but I'm, uh, Cindy, I I just want to ask Cindy and Rebecca, do you have any other questions for Liz before I start going into wrapping things up?
0: I don't have a question, but as she spoke about it, I realized that people give the blood for free and there's big corporations coming there and making money on something that's given for free our body, our product. And here we can't even ask for what we want to put back into our body. And they're stopping us, the corporations are stopping us. The greed is just unbelievable that we don't even have a right. We're just a commodity to them.
2: That's, that's exactly right. And I, you know, I tell people in my, in my private practice, my holistic um, medical life coaching, um, it's like we are worth more as a commodity if mm-hmm. we're sick than if we're well and healthy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if you that should make people mad,
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know, yeah. mad, mad enough to do something about it.
1: Yeah. Right. Right on.
3: Um, I think that you touched on this earlier, Liz, but did you say that this is available in the 50 states? I mean, every state has this opportunity.
2: Every state but- has has this opportunity. But what what we need, I mean, because we do have some states that ha- that are, you know, we have. We have a pretty robust membership in some states, and then in other states we have um, not such not such a robust membership. And the only way we can get a robust membership is if people share their membership links. Because, like Scott, once you're a member, you've got a membership link. Um, we will have a QR code that's coming out next week that is unique, like to your membership link, to my membership link, whoever. And you know, after the last four years, we all know who our people are, mm-hmm. and that your membership link needs to be shared with your like-minded people and as well as our message (laughs) about how important this is. Don't do not it's like life insurance. Don't wait until you have a critical illness before you buy life insurance because you may not be able to get it.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: So the membership link, what does what does that actually provide? So the membership what the membership link does is it bypasses like, so Scott, no, Scott, say Scott has Don as his friend, right? Super Mm Don. And, and Don is not yet a member. Well, if Don just went on our website and said, I want to be a member, and you start filling the application out, one of the things we would ask is, can you provide proof of having not gotten the vaccine, whether that was a religious exemption form or something like that? Um, Because we are a community of like-minded individuals. If Scott, had um, given Don his membership link, we would know that Scott knows Don and said he's my guy, it's okay. Okay.
1: You can vouch for the you can vouch yeah. for somebody else's status because you know them well enough to vouch for them is basically Correct. what
2: it is. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Got it.
1: Yeah makes yeah. sense yeah I wasn't I'm gonna do a quick wrap up, Liz, and then um, it's actually not going to be all that quick, but it's it's a wrap up nonetheless. but then we'll come back to you for the final word. All right? So you know i'm gonna I wasn't planning on this, but since you said it, I want to uh, reference the verse that people often quote when we're talking about about this, which is esther four fourteen. and esther four fourteen, um Mordecai said to Esther, how do you know you haven't been made for a time such as this? You know, in God's economy, there are no coincidences, none. He's mm-hmm. orchestrated everything. So when we look at what's going on now, it isn't like, um, you know, Jesus Jesus is still sitting at the right hand of the Father. He hasn't got out of his chair, and he's pacing around thinking, oh, my gosh, what should I do now, right? You know, with all this this fiasco that we're under, you know, he's, he's calmly um, – knows that he is allowing things as part of the overall um, end time scenario that's laid out in, in the scriptures. So anyway, as we are all put in these situations, we should look at are we being called for a time such as this? And and I want to just drill down that story a bit because it's, it's very important and I think it applies to uh, the message you have about the blood. And so in that particular story, Mordecai said that to Esther. And the backdrop is Esther was the queen. Esther was a Jew. And Esther, it makes no sense that Esther would be the queen because that just wouldn't happen. But she was the queen. So Mordecai asked her to approach the king because the evil um, lieutenant, Haman, had convinced the king to sign an edict to kill all the Jews. Okay, so so just keep in mind what that would mean and this is this is where the jews in history they keep there's a, there's always a strategy to wipe out the jews and what's the reason because jesus was a jew he had to come from that bloodline so if the bloodline is all wiped out the messiah could not come i mean so that's how big of a story this is it's it's huge and so You know, Mordecai, you know, I don't know that he understood that piece of it, but he knew the Jews were going to be wiped out. And so, you know, now that the king had signed this edict, so now we got to get that changed. Mordecai becomes aware of this plan. We got to get this changed. So he says to Esther, You need to approach the king. And Esther reminds Mordecai that nobody can approach the king, the king has to approach the person. You can't do that. Otherwise, you'll be executed, even if I'm the queen. And that's when he says, how do you know that you haven't been made for a time such as this? All right, so now Esther steps up to the plate, and, you know, Haman you know, ends up getting executed. I mean, it's, it's quite a story, but she chose at that point to put her life at risk. And she did what Liz is calling everybody to do who is faced with that situation. And we are in an urgent time. I mean, we are, um, we are in the days of Noah. Evil is being called good. Good is being called evil. And it is, it is an extremely urgent time as it applies to the blood specifically. So that was the Jewish bloodline. But God has already eliminated the you know, one of the purposes of the flood. When you think, go back to Noah's flood, we had a corruption of the bloodline. Okay, that was one of the reasons that God had to send the flood. All right, well, what is the corruption of the bloodline right now? Obviously, this mRNA technology. <clears throat> is one step closer to transhumanism. Transhumanism is the ultimate corruption of the bloodline. That's one reason I say that we are in an end time scenario or the end time scenario because it isn't like other times in history. There's a convergence worldwide of all these factors coming together and it's it's a big deal. Then the last thing I'd like to say relative to Um, COVID. So, I mean, we can say COVID because we don't go on YouTube, but relative to COVID, I see COVID now as a warning. And in Genesis 18, God, uh, Abraham asked God, you know, are you going to, you wouldn't destroy Sodom if um, there was 50 righteous, would you? And, and, And God said, no, I wouldn't if you can find 50 righteous. Then of course, Abraham realizes, oh my gosh, I think I put the number too high. And so then he goes, you know, 40, 35, 30, all the way down to 10. And God says, if you can find 10, I won't destroy Sodom. So there was a warning. And ultimately, Sodom was destroyed. And, you know, the warning, I see the warning for us as COVID. COVID woke me up. You know, I didn't know any of this before COVID, uh, even though I had read the Bible. You know I did it I hadn't connected the dots with everything that I understand now with the end time scenario and it is real uh, God has been patient his judgment is um, on a godless nation America is overdue and I think that 2024 promises to be one of the most chaotic in that the world has ever seen um, I'm gonna have Don bring up uh, the great deception graphic. And then I'm going to, just going to read this because there are so many things going on. And I, first, I want to find that um, cat down. <laughs> okay, so that's anybody who's been watching knows that I have a love for cats, so that's why I just have to weave that in. So, the great deception, Second Second Th- Thessalonians 2 verses 9 through 12, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that All will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but delighted in wickedness. All right, so what is the great deception? I think there's a bunch of great deceptions going on. But the biggest one that I have seen so far is the great awakening. But there's minor deceptions that are happening inside of that false prophet strategy. You know, COVID, the COVID shot was a a deception. But here Paul is writing specifically to the Christians. So there's been a number of them. The one we're going to play just a quick clip from... Paul Washer. And what Paul Washer is pointing out in this delusion or this deception is how the uh, come on down churches, the come on down and accept Jesus as your savior. That's a fraud. That's a deception. And Paul Washer calls it out. We're just going to have a quick clip here. And then once that clip is done, Liz, I'm going to come back to you for the the final word. And then, of course, Rebecca and Cindy, you can comment also. So go ahead, Don, please.
4: Now we all know from our brief studies of the two letters to the church in Corinth that they were a problematic church to say the least. There are a great many difficulties in that church, even though they were a very, very gifted lot. Now we come to the end of almost Paul's writings to the church in Corinth and he tells them to do something. He doesn't suggest it, he commands it. And he commands it out of a heart of wisdom out of a pastoral heart of love. He looks at this church and realizes that many of the people who associated themselves with Christianity in Corinth, many of the people who confessed Jesus Christ as Lord were living as though they were not Christians. And so Paul tells them to test themselves, to examine themselves, to see if they truly are. America is a quite unusual country, and we're full of mighty inventions. But a lot of our inventions are not so mighty because we have taken Scripture and created new things in order to suit our lifestyles. And one of the greatest inventions or heresy that's ever come out of the American church is called the doctrine of the carnal Christian that a person can truly be a believer in Jesus Christ and yet live their entire life in carnality. Look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, never grow to maturity, never grow to the idea of discipleship and sacrifice and following Christ. They have enough religion to make them respectable, but they are not in the kingdom of heaven. I know of one famous evangelist, if I were to mention his name, you'd all know him, he said, if even 5% of all the people who have made professions of faith in my conference or my crusades have been saved, I will be pleased. The problem is, why doesn't He tell them that? So many people. Do you realize that today, if we had enough money, we could rent out the greatest halls in Las Vegas, we could promote this thing just right. We could make it all look like a circus or a Six Flags Over Jesus. We could advertise, we could be so slick, we could get the great majority of this, this population into that building, and we could manipulate them enough, telling them exactly what they want to hear, and just adding the name of Jesus on the end of it and get this whole town converted, but it wouldn't be changed. And that's what's gone on. And that is the reason for the demise of evangelical Christianity in America. We must return to a biblical gospel of God as God. Holy and righteous is He. Loving. A doctrine of man born in sin. Radically depraved. Every one of us could make Hitler look like a choir boy if it were not for the grace of God restraining us.
1: So COVID was a call for what? It was a call for repentance. It wasn't a call to get your medical directives, documents just perfect to make sure you have unvaccinated blood all lined up uh, to uh, make sure you get your detox strategy. That wasn't what it's about. It's a call to repentance. and. That last warning that God has given us, I am taking seriously. And I want 2024 to be our commitment to that call for repentance. So, Liz, the final word.
2: Oh, gosh. Um, Just listen. Take some time every day. I mean, we're a lot of times we're so busy talking to God that we forget to hear what he, that he's trying to talk to us to. And I think that, um, we're, we're, we ask a lot, um, and maybe he's just asking us to be still and listen to what he wants us to do. I think if we all did that, that, and then we actually work, we actually acted on what he said, the world would be a very different place.
1: Yeah, Very well said.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Rebecca and Cindy, do you have anything else to say?
3: I don't.
1: Oh, you're Rebecca. You're muted.
0: My dog. Um, oh, it
1: was your it was your dog. Okay. My dog. I it had a 50-50 chance of being your dog or our dog. <laughs>
0: well, thanks. A scripture came to my mind when we talk about the Great Reset because Christians are looking for the big revival that's coming. And I tell them all the time, I say in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, it said, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that ma- and the man of sin be revealed and the son of perdition. So this is the great falling away, that Christians are falling into deception, and they'll have such a narrow path. And a few of us who truly stand by God and know God's word, would be able to to live through this time, so we shouldn't be deceived. Let's not be deceived.
1: Very well said, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you. You can hang on, thank Liz. You, Liz. We'll, Cindy, we'll, Cindy we'll have come to say back something afterward and say goodbye. Cindy, Cindy
0: <laughs> have to say something.
1: Oh, yeah, she said she already <laughs> didn't have something. But go, go ahead, Cindy. Do you have something?
3: I would just say it's amazing how God has orchestrated so many things because Liz, when you just said to be still. We talked to a wonderful lady the other night who shared her testimony of how God needed her to be still and just said that how when we find time for God and we always think we are too busy for him. But when we make time for him, he makes that time up in so many different ways um, and allows us to be able to accomplish the things that we didn't think we were going to have time for. It's, it was just full circle when you said that. I'm like, oh, my goodness, Lord, you're speaking to us directly right here during this podcast. So it was just it was neat. So thank you. It is you.
1: interesting how many people have come into our life that this consistent message is happening. It's right on.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, Don, you can close us out.